All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful DC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. Black Tech Green Money isn't just about telling the stories of successful black entrepreneurs. It's also about giving actionable and wealth-building strategies that help you protect the future of our communities. That's why we're pleased to be supported by State Farm Insurance. State Farm also believes that we must invest in our communities to achieve economic growth by sponsoring programs like the AXO, which rewards high school students for their academic achievements. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. My dad works in B2B marketing. But I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be to be. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. AT&T connects and ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Afrotech is back in Austin, Texas this November. is the place for all things Black Tech and Web3. The in-person Afrotech conference experience is bridging the worlds of Afrotechnologists, innovators, investors, corporations, musicians, and everyone in between. So pull up, grab your crew, and grab your tickets. And join us at the largest black professional conference of the year. Visit experience.afrotech.com to learn more. I'm Will Lucas, and this is Black Tech Green Money. I'm going to introduce you to some of the biggest names, some of the brightest minds, and brilliant ideas. If you're black in building or simply using tech to secure your bag, this podcast is for you. Everett Harper is CEO and co-founder of Trust, a human-centered software development company. 
He's also author of the new leadership book, Move to the Edge, Declare and Center, which was published by Wiley earlier this year. He was previously director of customer acquisition and community at Linden Lab, maker of Second Life. A CEO and technologist who also hits many stages around the world to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, I asked Everett to speak on this. I get that there's a more imperative for diversity, but is it also profitable to hire, fund, promote, and support black people? Uh, the quick answer is yes. And uh, there is a research um, history, uh, both in academia and in practice for the last decade, uh, Kathy Williams, for example, late great Kathy Williams, Dr. Kathy Williams, uh, documented how that makes um, boards that have uh, diverse boards have higher returns, diverse ship teams, higher returns, the um, process of innovation, more diverse teams have better, uh, they, they essentially less blind spots when coming up with a solution. So there's a, any number at different levels for the business case for all of those things. And that's before saying, oh, if my customers are diverse, I would need to have representation. So um, there's a lot of history at this point, the ship has already sailed. So when you think about innovation, I remember, I don't remember which of the founders of Twitter who talked about this, but there was a founder of Twitter who talked about when you're trying to get people, when you're trying to find a success in, in a startup, the best thing you can do is not try to change what people already do, but make what they do more efficient. Because when you try to get people to change habits, you have an uphill, you know, uh, battle to climb. And so can you talk about, there was an article I read that you had um, wrote this particular line. I'm going to read it back to you and you may remember writing it. It says, we have a culture of innovation, quote unquote, is a statement found on crumpled banners, rolled up posters and trashed brochures <laughs> of failed startups and shuttered businesses. Companies and investors have tried to shift, fund or shock their employees into being becoming more innovative. Um, then you went on to say an infrastructure for innovation beats a culture of innovation. So those two concepts, the one that I positioned and what you just wrote, how do we how should we think about innovation? When we are black founders and we have a unique perspective in the marketplace and we're trying to build something, hopefully that the world has never seen that will, you know, provide us some um, capital that we can build, you know, generational wealth. Yeah, yeah, good points. And I guess I was feeling spicy that day. Um, <laughs> so I think um, here's how I would think about it. Now, Twitter's culture, I don't know enough in the detail of how they think about culture to be uh precise about what they did because it may include an infrastructure that i don't know but what i do know is when you talk to blackberry and you talk to deck and you talk to folks at companies that or xerox park that had the innovations however they weren't able to put it in a system that enabled those innovation to scale or to be shared or to be sustainable and it's really the system part that I'm talking about to make um, innovations actually come to light. So a different way to think about it is that, um, for example, when we, you know, with the, with the pandemic and people that, oh, we're going to grit our teeth through this and um, we're going to make it through um, by sheer will and hard work. Well, after a couple months, that bill starts to drop. You can't sustain heroism like that. But if you build a system that enables more people to benefit from that system without the same amount of toil, 
then you're able to get the innovations or any kind of innovations out into the market where it can be tested in, in, in with the customers. So I'm of the mind that you don't have to look far for ideas for companies, but that there are problems that exist all around us. And can you talk yeah. a little bit about how, if, how do you admonish would be entrepreneurs to maybe look more at their story and what is going on in their world to help them come up with concepts or ideas or projects that could ultimately become businesses to um, more authentically practice a new way of doing things that other people can employ also. Yeah. So what I tell entrepreneurs with regard to that question is, you know, you start with a problem that you know that you're experienced, but you're only one person. The first, the next thing to do immediately is to test it with other people around you. Is this compelling? Is it um, memorable? Does it solve a problem? Does it accelerate your life? And be real honest about that. That's actually the thing I love to do most. Um, and um, you'll get some people who will support you. That's still not good enough. That takes you to the next level. Then it's people that you haven't met before. And that's where the iteration and, you know, whether it's um, lean startup principles or other iteration principles where you get out and you see whether your idea takes hold whether people grab it, whether people are doing things on it, where you develop a platform for it. So um, the testing with people that are around you is only the first step. It's validating that. And then it's, that might be a good idea. Is it a business? So you have to, to ask the other sets of questions. Are people going to pay for it? Are they going to devote their time for it? Are they going to build on it? Those are the next level questions that, frankly, I find more entrepreneurs step uh, miss that boat than they do with ideas because I think people are full of different ideas. Um, I'll say the second thing that I tell people. Everybody has the same idea. 10 people have the same idea you do right now, whatever it is. Six of those people or of those people will just be talking about it, thinking about it, whatever, won't even write it down. The seventh and eighth person might have done a little testing, might have like, you know, explored some avenues, but they got busy, got distracted. The ninth person actually is is um, doing something about it, yeah. is actually testing it. Maybe they're raising a little bit of money. You want to be the 10th person who has done all of that and um, gone and put the diligence and the time into that thing. So the idea is not the original part. It's whether you're able to turn it into something that's a repeatable practice that people will buy. There's this concept of um, and I think it's like people like Peter Thiel who talk about this, like you got to have a unique perspective on things like what is your unique value? Like, why should you be doing this thing? If you're going to an investor and they're like, you know, OK, we understand there's a, a, an opportunity in the marketplace, but why are you the one to solve this thing? And when I talk to entrepreneurs, sometimes not not of, you know, black descent or African-American descent or African descent, I should say, um, I find entrepreneurs who may be in wildly successful businesses, but they have no passion for the business that they're in. Maybe they do, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, street yeah. signs, right? <laughs> Whatever it is that they do. And I wonder if you could play the other side of that conversation. Like, when is it okay for us to just be opportunists and see an, an opportunity in the marketplace and go do something about it? <laughs> There's no argument against that. That's for sure. I think, <clears throat> It's funny when you talk about, uh, uh, why are you the person? 
if you're not the person, but you have a hundred thousand people saying that you are the person, it doesn't matter whether I think you're the person or whether the investor thinks you're a person. There's a hundred thousand people back there that are buying my service who think I'm the person. They don't care about me. They care about the service. And so if you're trying to get funding and you have a whole bunch of traction, you have a whole bunch of uh, crazy fans, um, that's being volumes. Now they may be looking for other kinds of pattern matching, right? But results talk. So I think that that's the first thing to think about when you when you when you were saying, um, and in terms of like taking opportunities, yeah, because sometimes you practice that this one fails, but you learn some things. You take another crack at it a little while longer, a little bit later, another, uh, and then it's the next idea that actually clicks. But if you're waiting for that perfect opportunity probably aren't going to ever start. So if you see something for it, test it out, and then hit that wall and say, yep, this is not the business I want to be in. That's much better than sort of waiting back and hoping for a perfect uh, situation because that's not going to ever happen. Describe what that wall could look like. How do you know when it's time to hang it up? How do you know when it's time Ooh, that yeah. uh, <laughs> I, I've been doing this long enough or I've been I've spent too much money or I'm not getting this? Like, How do you know what is the thing that says, yeah, this ain't it? State Farm Insurance gets it. Representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. State Farm understands and wants to help protect our communities by investing in our future, building off the hard work our parents have done before us. We all are looking to create generational wealth so that our families and generations behind us have a better starting point than we did. That begins with financial literacy. State Farm helps fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of black and brown youth. To date, participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarships offers as a direct result of contributions from State Farm. At Eating Wallbrook, we hear inspiring rags to riches stories on each episode from our guests, but with State Farm, you can begin to write your own success story. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. If you're looking for the most epic place on Earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. How do we level the playing field for all entrepreneurs? 55% of white businesses survive the startup phase, while only 4% of black businesses do the same. So I want every black entrepreneur to know about the One Million Black Businesses Initiative. The One Million Black Businesses Initiative is an award-winning program created by Shopify and Operation Hope. They're on a mission to start, grow, and scale one million black businesses by 2030, driving wealth creation for the black community. Out of 6 million employer-owned businesses in the U.S., only 2.3% have black ownership. This program gives black entrepreneurs tools and resources to level the playing field, from free business coaching to tailored training and extended free Shopify trial. Shopify's made a 10-year, multi-million dollar commitment to the program, and it's working. The initiative already started, supported, and engaged with over 334,000 black businesses, helping them operate businesses that sell anything from skateboards to coffee beans to apparel. Business owners love this program. Simone Harvin, founder of SC Creative Group, says, The one million black businesses experience for me 
was unlike any other program I've been a part of, primarily because it was for us and it was by us. Here at Drink Champs, we are always interacting with our listeners, many being black entrepreneurs. Shopify is one of those platforms that empowers and emboldens entrepreneurship. So chart your own path for business success with the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative and Shopify. Bring your business to Shopify with an exclusive offer at shopify.com slash B-E-N, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash B-E-N. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Yeah, that's a great question because the entrepreneur wants to be persevering and wants to be diligent and like, don't take no for an answer. At least that's the ethos, right? That's the story. The reality is um, my, from my experience and talking to other entrepreneurs, partially there's like pragmatic things. You run out of money, right? That's it. And especially for our audience, you don't come with bags of like historical cash, right? So there's that. I think the more, uh, spiritual one, I think the heart of your question is when your kind of soul is no longer fed by this, and you don't wake up energized to try and overcome the next obstacle because there will be obstacles. Um, when the market is telling you, hey, no, I'm not buying this. I had a nice spike at the beginning and then it flattened out. You might try a whole bunch of stuff and if it's not moving the needle, then it's done. Um, I'll tell you a quick story. When I was starting this company, um, I was originally doing a product company. It was it was called Tetherpad. It was about doing smart calendars for executive assistants. Originally, it was for travel, but you know it turned into the business thing. And uh, this was around 2011 when smart calendars were starting to come out. And I had this prototype, and I was like, people complicated travel arrangements or whatever. And I went to, I said, where where do I find travel people? Where people travel? stores when they actually existed um and i went there and i had my little prototype i went to the travel section and i asked people hey excuse me would you use something like this they were like pleasant and nice and interested a little bit but no one said oh my god i have to have that that is the greatest thing in the world 
I knew that was not going to be a successful um, product because if I can't sell them face to face, how am I going to do that when I'm competing with millions of other sites to do travel? Sometimes the business case and the lack of response tells you everything you need to know that you need to go back to a drawing board, which is what I did. How do you how did you know that it wasn't just another feature that you needed? Because we can get feature hungry and have scope creep really, really easily because, OK, maybe my travel app doesn't you know, wow the people. But if I added just this one other thing and then oh, you find us oh, another thing I got to add, I add another yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. How do you know it's not just a feature? How do you know when is the feature is not going to do it? Because um, I was trying to ask the core value proposition, which was, do you have a problem traveling and arranging things for complex travel or your, you know, for your family or whatever? The representation of that was my app, but really it was the question about what the core problem was. And what I got back was that it wasn't that important a problem to them. So I could add all the features in the world, but if it's not important to the buyer, it doesn't matter. So what I did was actually say, huh, maybe this is the wrong, the right product, but it's the wrong audience. Who actually cares about this and is willing to pay for it? I went to give assistance because they are paid to do complex arrangements for their executives. When I presented the same prototype with a little bit of, you know, reskinning, they were all over it because I nailed their problem. So that was the, that's the difference. I don't care about the features I'm adding until I understand the problem that I'm trying to solve for the audience in the audience's own uh, words or their own context. I would consider you, and I'm, you are a DEI expert, and if, if you would call yourself that, but you are somebody who speaks on DEI and you know are paid to yeah. speak on DEI. Uh, what is interesting about the current conversation about DEI that we're having, particularly at the corporate level? Let's start there. Like some companies believe, if they put some money into some inner city, you know, youth programs, then they're being diverse and, and you know, they're, they're doing their job. Other, other companies believe if they hire a black DEI officer, they're doing their job. Um, what is interesting about this conversation to you and how do we know if we're doing it right as corporate executives? Yeah, I'll say spicily, um, most of the conversation doesn't interest me because it's a lot of uh, window dressing. Um, which is not to say that investing in a playground in um, a community is not a great thing. That's fantastic for the community, but that is not a sufficient DEI response for any corporation of any significant size. It's the, in, the initial drop in the bucket, for example. The reason I say that is the question I always ask uh, people, and this is particularly after George Floyd and everybody was getting involved with you know DEI and trying to figure out racial injustice and, and, and white supremacy, et cetera. The question I would ask when people would come to me and say, hey, what can I do? I'd love your help. I said, well, what are you trying to do it for? How does this connect with your business model? This is a question you started with. And then there was like often a silence. I said, yeah, you need to figure out whether, how it's connected to your business model. So. That's the first thing is, is it connected to your business model? And many people don't have that. Those that do start to start to make progress in ways that others do not. Um, I think the other thing that's interesting to me about the, the conversation at the moment is the impact of remote work and how the market changes 
if you are now not just located in a particular place, but actually can recruit and expansively across the country. We've been remote since first since 2012. We wanted to have a diverse company. We're like, well, there isn't a full diversity here in the Bay Area. And those who are here are going to be heavily competed with um, you know, for talent. And we have, oh, by the way, we have Google and Facebook who can plop a bonus um, larger than someone's annual salary at our company. So we went to the rest of the country. And we have people in 30 states and we have black folks all over and Hispanic and, or Latina, Latinx um, and Mina and, 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 but they're located where they are. And so that gets much more sustainable from our perspective. Now we have to go to the next level because other people have discovered it as well. So we have to figure out the next thing. But we've developed this networks of, of community that I think are going to be sustainable in the long run. I, w- I wanted to go deeper on the, the remote work thing in, in a second, but I, I do want I don't want to glance past something you just talked about. And that's that corporate commitment mm-hmm. to being to be actually making real lasting impact. How after, you know, the, the sizzle is gone from that pan after the immediate George Floyd, you know, impact or, you know, police shootings or elections that have real consequence after those initial triggers. How do we get corporate commitments to black people, to minorities, to diversity, equity and inclusion? Um, how do we get them to last past that yeah. moment in time? Yeah. So the way I think about the questions I would ask and so the, is the dialogue that actually uh, kind of starts to spur action. One is, is it connected to your business model? Two, who's running it? If it is a initiative within a small marketing team, your organization, I don't take it seriously. Why don't I take it seriously? Because as soon as there's a budget cut, as soon as there's a downturn, uh, budgets are tight, that discretionary program goes away. It needs to be led by the executive and it needs to be led by the C-suite and it needs to be led by the CEO. That person needs to come in front and say, I believe in this, it's part of our business, even if we don't know specifically what our goals are, I am personally committed to making this happen. And then I have people who are going to execute. So it's got to come from them and it's got to be on repeat. So that's the question I would then ask. CEO involved, how long is there support for that? And then how are you going to roll that out as a project? I think the other um, thing in terms of uh, in terms of asking is um, I'll quote my friend uh, Damian Hooper Campbell, who I interviewed for the book. He said diversity is measured in quarters and years. Making a dent in diversity, equity, yeah. inclusion it is measured in quarters and years, not days and weeks. And I absolutely, completely agree with that. Even for the well-intentioned companies. If it was easy to recruit a bunch of black folks, they would have done it already. But we're heavily competed for, or the networks aren't there, or you're changing cultures internally. Anybody knows about culture change, know that take that takes quarters and years, not days and weeks, even if you're well-intentioned. So what's your plan, executive, for having a years-long strategy where you can actually move the needle? And that's where we get some agreement and some alignment of what's realistic from my opinion um you probably recognize there is a quickly moving bto 
resurgence here, like back to office. Uh, companies are going yeah. back to office. I think Apple announced it yesterday or today, depending on when you're listening to this. Apple recently announced uh, they want their people back in the office. Um, is that dangerous to this conversation of uh, diversity in the, in the workplace? I think it's really interesting. Um, there's a couple different points to it. One, I think the cat's out of the bag, frankly, in terms of people saying, huh, do I really have two hours of my day or three hours of my day to be commuting? In an era where you have housing prices rising and folks can't afford to live near city center, that's even more of an issue. And it affects black folks in particular. If I'm in Mississippi or if I'm in Georgia, if I'm in Atlanta, not only do I have amazing Atlanta-based companies, but I'm attracting attention from all over the country. Why would I want to leave Atlanta um, if you enjoy that community? I think the other side of it gets interesting is, um, oh, yeah. And what I think the other side of it is, um, how do companies that used to be in office and who are going hybrid or fully remote, how are they managing the uh, mentorship and sponsorship of new employees, particularly black and brown employees. Here's how it works. If it's always, if it had been in an office and it's a little bit of drive-by and so forth for meetings or lunches or whatever, hey, I'd love to get like a coffee with you and you get some informal mentoring and so forth, that's awesome. If you move to hybrid, how does that happen? It doesn't just automatically, it has to have an intention. And so a company would have to say, we understand that and we're committed to either having identifying our star folks or emerging talent and getting them back in that office for a week, a quarter, so that we can kind of get that that um, trust building that happens person to person or place of face to face. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of black communities. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help provide financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. We want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. It also requires active sponsorship of programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements along with funding programs like Project Ready, a national urban league program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful DC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. 
OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, or we do some other rotation system. If there's a remote person who isn't getting that kind of mentorship and the culture supports it face-to-face, they are at a deficit. So one would have to be thoughtful about setting that up. So what do you say to you know, black and brown employees who want to work at the biggest companies in the world, um, but it's, you know, ought to live in the Bay is not the cheapest place in the world to live, you know, but I may be talented enough an engineer. Um, and then now, I, I, you know, six months ago, I had this opportunity. What happens when I want to work in some of the biggest places, have some of the biggest impact on the world via the technology perspective? And now they, they want me to uproot my family and I got to bring all of us to the Bay or yep. to New York or, you know, think of a place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I would say is to broaden actually the, the landscape here. You said, want to work at the biggest companies. I'd say, why do you want to work at the biggest companies? There are lots of amazing companies with great brands that don't have to be the fan companies. And in fact, I think there's probably many, many opportunities that go under the radar for making impact for for propelling your career to having a great uh, sense of culture. So I would broaden the, in, the broaden the, the, the scale to other sorts of companies. Uh, the second thing I'd say is negotiate. Um, enable, uh, sorry, first create optionality, right? That one company wants you to move. That's a great time to look. Hmm, are other companies maybe looking for me and allowing me to, to, to stay at home? I bet there are. Now you have some negotiating uh, leverage. Um, and I think the, the other thing is uprooting your family is a big deal. And that support from a family is a big deal to one's happiness. Um, so that's serious consideration. Last thing I'd say is there are definitely conversations I've had with folks and the market is now kind of a little soft, right? There's some, um, some layoffs happening, slowing down hiring. 
I think it's an opportunity to sort of take stock and say, what is it that I'm trying to do with my career? And how can certain companies advance the ball in this in situation? Because sometimes it might be great to take that one year thing, uproot your family for a year, get the brand, get the money, and then go to another company. Um, so I think broaden the opportunities is the is the message and broaden your options so you're not just locked into one way of uh, advancing your career. There are many ways to advance a career. Um, a couple of years ago, you guys embraced uh, salary transparency. And yeah. And one, I want you to talk about why, why that's important or was important for you guys and steps to doing that well, because I imagine there's um, a large opportunity there to cause more ruckus in the beginning, you know, especially in the beginning. But what are the lasting implications of doing that, both on the positive side and negative side and steps to doing it well? Yeah. So just for context, we did it in 2017. So it's been in place since then. The reason we did it was for equity, for racial and gender equity. Lots of great companies, lots of bad companies were paying people different depending on their gender. Lots of well-intentioned companies didn't want to do that, but they allowed for some negotiation. And so, for example, if you are, are um, if you negotiate a 5% higher salary than I do, right, uh, for the same position, same work, five years later, you've done fantastic work. You've both gotten promotions and both got a 20% bump every single year. That difference then amplifies, right? That's the problem. And then five years later, you have a company that says, um, the, the employee says, wait a minute, I'm being paid how much less? Now the company has lost a valuable employee with all the institutional memory, that problem. So we wanted to avoid that. And the quickest way we wanted to do it was say, let's make it transparent let's make internally transparent and then let's go through a process for engaging our employees to make that happen so that there isn't a ruckus so what we did basically and i'll just it's it's actually in the book uh, fairly explicitly there's a step-by-step -step process that we use that anybody can follow but the first thing we did was really simple are you going to leave if we make our salaries transparent <laughs> and 19 out of 20 people said no we'll not and one percent I'm a little uncomfortable, but let's go for it, right? So that's the first thing. Second thing was we involved them in the solution. So there was lots of research to do. Is this the right problem solving? Are there other alternatives? What other companies are doing this? But we had a committee based on leadership and employees that participated. Why does that matter? Because they're going to bring different perspectives than I would. And whatever solution we come up with, they're going to participate in. That's going to enable people to feel like, yeah, I have designed this. Finally, the big, actually the big part of the work, we didn't have our leveling and we didn't have our rubrics uh, very well uh, laid out. That took, of a seven month process, that took about four and a half months to do that right. Any company should have that anyway, regardless of whether they're going to salary transparent or not. By the time we announced it, after seven months, the reaction was basically ho-hum because we brought everybody along for the ride. Um, we also did one other thing that is, is a fun uh, piece. It's called a pre-mortem. I, I talk about it in, in the book as well. And it's basically a technique to basic, it's a technique to enable you to project into the future and try and avoid problems. So the quick uh, question you ask is, and we did this. Okay, team, 
it's three months, three weeks before launch. I want you to project nine months down the road. The thing is launched. It's reached all the people, et cetera, et cetera. In nine months, it is a complete disaster. Whatever. Everything's gone wrong. Everybody hates us. Yeah. We've lost customers, blah, 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 blah. What went wrong? Yeah. And I usually start by saying, yeah, it was me. I wasn't paying attention. I didn't answer that phone call. I was slow to respond, right? It, it loosens people up a little bit because what you're trying to do is have people be creative. Then it starts to come out. Well, we didn't, that stakeholder we didn't talk to. This person we didn't talk to. Oh, we forgot this step. Once you gather a bunch of those, you work backwards. So how could we mitigate that possibility? It is amazing how many things come up that you, even the most diligent person did not think of because they didn't imagine the failure case down the road. So that's what we did with uh, salary equity as well. I'm sorry, uh, pay transparency as well. Um, so we tested this thing and we iterated it and we continue to iterate to this day. Um, you, you, I liked what you just brought up about the pre-mortem because it, it blends very well into this next question is, you know, you guys were remote even before COVID. You talked about 2011, 2012, you guys were fully remote. That's right. Um, and there was obviously some forward thinking there. And so others can be forward thinking. What was the insight you had back then about being fully remote, hiring people from all over the world so that other people can try to figure out ways they can be um, successful when they actually write that pre-mortem? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great question. Um, we decided to go fully remote to solve a problem. Kind of going back to your entrepreneur opportunity question. My first co-founder and I, Mark, invited our third co-founder, Jen, to be part of the team to be official co-founder. She gave us an answer that we didn't expect. I'd love to join, but my husband just got a fellowship to be in the Balkans and in Western Europe and in Scotland for the next 18 months on a fellowship. Can we work that out? And I was like, that is not what I expected, but okay, let's start figuring it out. The solution we came up was really straightforward. Um, show up on time, get a get a, an Airbnb or a place you're renting that has great Wi-Fi and make our work transparent. Those were three things. And then we just said, let's roll with it and see what happens. From there, we started to develop, oh, okay, here's better ways to display the work. And then we started to say, how can we involve other people in the solution? Well, all of those things are scalable. Show up, show up on meetings on time, okay. We're using Pivotal Tracker to display our work. Now there's Miro and there's all these, and Asana and all these other places. Um, and get good Wi-Fi. So it was sort of a problem solving exercise that we then could scale and that we could share and it's sustainable. And that's really where it started from. And we've had to build things, of course, uh, in the meantime, but uh, I think that was the core of it. So I think the message to entrepreneurs is, what are problems that you can solve simply and quickly and make some experiments? And it could be anything from HR to remote to a product idea, and then just try it out and then learn and trash it and do the next thing if, uh, if that doesn't work. Black Tech Green Money is a production of Blavity Afrotech on the Black Effect Podcast Network and iHeartMedia. It's produced by Morgan DeBon and me, Will Lucas, with additional production support by Love Beach and Rose McLucas. 
Special thank you to Michael Davis and Vanessa Serrano. Learn more about my guests and other tech disruptors and innovators at afrotech.com. The video version of this episode will drop the Black Tech Green Money on YouTube next week, so tap in. Enjoy your Black Tech Green Money? Share this with somebody. Go get your money. Peace and love. Black Tech Green Money isn't just about telling the stories of successful black entrepreneurs. It's also about giving actionable and wealth-building strategies that help you protect the future of our communities. That's why we're pleased to be supported by State Farm Insurance. State Farm also believes that we must invest in our communities to achieve economic growth by sponsoring programs like the AXO, which rewards high school students for their academic achievements. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful VC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. AT&T connects and old to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the driving to work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now.